1: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Justin Michael. We've got the whole gang here: Dre, Jake, Hank. We're talking about the national championship. We're talking about the Broncos head coaching vacancy. We've got change a coming. These these times are a changing and it's it's well. Well, it's needed, I guess that's really the only way to put it. It's been a brutal couple of years. How's everybody doing? You know, coming off of that national championship, um, obviously not the outcome I was hoping for as a Bama guy, but I thought it was a competitive game. I thought it was, I thought it was intriguing. And I think very clearly we got the best two teams in the country in this matchup. So I was satisfied. What did you guys think on this game? Just general observations, general feelings.
2: A good game. It was fun to watch. I mean, people complain about the SEC all the time, but, um, you know, the score lied a bit uh, with the late touchdown, but it was a good game. I had fun watching
1: it.
0: Yeah, it was so physical. Just so much fun to see that. Especially, I mean, I'll flex on this real quick. My DraftKings pick of the week last week. Get that under 25 and a half in the first half. Those guys just grinding down the field, kicking field goals, sometimes not even grinding down the field and just punting like that was that's the way a national championship game is supposed to be. Like you let those big guys up front go and hit each other, everybody flies around like that's that's real football. And I think that that's I guess there's teams that are missing like the speed on the back end and some of that stuff, too. But just that physicality, not not many teams can match up with what we saw in the
1: trenches. Well, I mean, Jordan Davis sets the tone right off the bat. Obviously, just comes plowing through, just demolishes Bryce Young. It ends up being an incomplete pass, really heads up play by by Young to get rid of the ball there. Mm-hmm. I'm you know shitting bricks at that point because I thought it was a strip, you know, that he returned for the touchdown. But really heads up play. But I just think that that moment there kind of set the tone for what was to come, and that was just dominance from that Georgia front seven. They they absolutely. Own the trenches in this one. And I think that was a a big question was if they would be able to do it after you know Bama kind of punched them in the teeth a little bit in the SEC championship. This time around, Alabama 28 carries for 30 yards, 1.1 yards per carry. It was rough. I mean, there was just there were there was no room to be had in between the tackles. Bless B. Robinson. But I mean, it was just tough sledding for him. And I ultimately felt like once Jamison Williams went down, Bama just didn't have the horses anymore to stretch the field on this really, really potent, really aggressive Georgia defense. And, you know, losing Mechie, that's one thing. I think that was manageable just with the way that Bama had been running the ball and still getting it downfield enough with Williams and Bolden to have a shot. But once he went down too, you could just see Georgia started teeing in on him. The run game never got going for Bama. and you know, Stetson Bennett, kudos to him. He made some plays with the game on the line. Yeah. And jumping back to Jordan Davis, I mean, you know, the, the knock
0: on him is like a six six three forty defensive tackle is that he might not be able to get much pressure. He hasn't been in the backfield much this season. And then he jumps out in the first drive and just about causes the fumble. That is a great play. And then later on, they get down to the goal line. They bring him out on offense, run right behind him. And he just clears a gap. Like, would Jordan Davis be a, a top ten offensive lineman pick this season if he wanted to be there too? On that one play, it kind of looked like it. Like I, I don't know about taking a defensive tackle at number nine, but and he put on about as good of a case as you could have, right?
2: Look, not to take the talk away from the Natty, but man, I've been, I think that's what I've been trying to say the past couple of weeks, man. Mm-hmm. We did the, uh, the Bronco prospect thing. I can't remember when exactly. And we had him pretty Two high. On sky, there. I think, yeah. He's an extremely large human being that is very good and can move other extremely large hum- human beings with ease. Um, that's just his game, man. And his movement skills for his size are just insanely impressive to go back to the game though, Justin, I don't think that's it's, it's it can't be understated how much Bama really missed Jamison Williams once he went out um, because you look at the sec championship game. That's how they won that sec championship game a couple of weeks ago with Jamison Williams. They had all the receivers. They were able to go over the top and just make things difficult. You take away that vertical element uh, running the ball just becomes a little bit harder. Bryce has to try a little bit harder to find, you know, any open receiver. Um it sucks because it's almost like Bama wasn't at full strength, but um, it's just how the game works sometimes. And, I mean, you just look at the way that that played out. Nobody was
0: going to be able to run their way to 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 points, like especially early on in that game. You have those defenses sitting up there like that, and you, and you look at kind of how teams wound up on the board. There's things like, was it the possession before? George Pickens had that incredible catch down the middle of the field. It's like they, if not for that catch, there are no points on that drive because it stalled out pretty quickly after it didn't look all that great before. And then I, th- I think it was the next possession that you wind up with the injury to Jamison Williams, but it was on a very similar play, just a field flipping play where all of a sudden you've turned this zero point possession, a uh, drive that looked like it was you're hoping for field position in that game at that point. like you're trying to pin them back at that point. but you you wind up setting up three points right there it's, it's, those are, those are the big swings in the game and you need those chunk plays and there weren't a lot of them out there. And
1: you need to have players who can capitalize when they are. Look, injuries are a part of football, you know? So mm-hmm. I think if you're a Georgia fan listening, you know, you're, you're rolling your eyes cause you're saying, look, everybody in the country is missing some of their top players. And, and that's fair, but it, it's clear that, that losing Mechie and, and Williams, a pair of guys that went for a thousand yards this season, guys that were A huge part of that offense you know it 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 really limited what Alabama was able to do I felt like in that fourth quarter really for the first time when the when the game was on the line at least where we saw Bryce Young look rattled this season he just he tried to force some things the timing clearly wasn't there with Ajayi and and some of those younger receivers but you know I also feel like this Bama team was probably a year early when you look at the the returning talent that they have coming back on both sides of the football. I mean, they are going to be really dangerous next year. So ultimately um, I feel like the best team in the country won the national championship. When you look at what Georgia was able to accomplish this season, they were the best team, you know, most consistently on both sides of the football. They were so dominant defensively and, you know, with a, with a chance to, really cement their legacy that they got it done so shout out to them shout out to to kirby smart i i love that dude i mean obviously long time nick Saban assistant and if anybody's gonna take him down in the championship i feel like it's just kind of poetic that it's kirby smart so that was a that was a fun game i enjoyed it hopefully jameson williams is okay no reports out yet on the status of his knee um can we stop playing these games on turf, please? Can we play on real grass? I'm really yes. tired of seeing guys blow out their knees turf is on terrible. non-contact plays. It's it's ridiculous. We have the resources to get this done. Um, legitimately, if I'm Nick Saban, like, that's what I would use my power in college football to sway this offseason. Like, can we please play on some actual surfaces here? Um, it's just a shame yep. that, that that happened. Definitely. Um, and just to get some more prospects
0: out there, I mean... Lewis seen what a night the, the, the safety from Georgia, he was making hits early. He was, he was everywhere. Like he, he looked like Kareem Jackson out there. I think he's, he's somebody we haven't talked about much at all on this podcast, but he's draft eligible this year and the Broncos need a safety.
1: The, he took a couple steps forward in that game. I think both safeties played really good. He was great in this game. Jordan battle was really good for Alabama when you look at this Georgia defense, man, everybody just played so well last night. They had six players record a minimum of five solo tackles, not total tackles, solo tackles. So, I mean, they had linebackers that were stepping up all over the place. Their defensive backs were stepping up in the run game and making strong tackles on the line of scrimmage. I mean, Brian Robinson's not a small dude and and they're bringing him down one-on-one, just a really, really impressive performance from this group. And I mean, you can tell, like, Kirby Smart, he's always been revered for his defensive acumen, always, you know, it's always kind of been the quarterback that's let him down. (laughs) The the walk-on Stetson Bennett, you know, with the chance. He gets it done. Even as a Bama fan, you kind of had, I kind of have to just, you know, beat one, I like Kirby Smart, and two, I like the story of it. So, I don't know, it was fun to see all these guys step up when the game was on the line and play to their full capability, because that's what we want as draft nerds, right? Like, we want to watch Jordan Davis and, and all these guys ball out.
0: And you brought up Jordan Battle, but DeMarco Hellams played really well, too. He was making big plays. I think, you know, Brock Bowers, the tight end for Georgia, started really slow. He's not draft eligible this year, but he'll be one of the top guys in a couple years. But there was one little fade to the end zone where Hellams just ran him off the ball. Just too strong for him. And, And I don't know, just, I guess what, he's a junior, so he could come back another year. Probably will, but a whole bunch of guys who looked really good.
2: Yeah, on the Bama side, um, the linebackers, Christian Harris and Henry Tuatua, uh, both looked really good. <sighs> mm-hmm. And then, I mean, mm-hmm. Will Anderson, man, all year just creating havoc. The length was on display, the athleticism, just the insane ability to just move his body, his flexibility. He's just, he's going to be a guy that if he was in this class, man, he'd easily be top two or three. I mean, yep. I don't think it'd be a debate really at that point. I mean, it'd be crazy to have all those edges at the top, but he'd probably be the best of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But just a insane display of uh, defensive talent um, and exciting as Bronco fans, because it was all that positions in need, really. Uh, And linebackers, you had safeties, you had corners making plays. And then you had Dallas Turner,
0: the other edge for Bama, the freshman, basically doing the same thing. And it's way too early to have these conversations, but I and mean, Next year, you have to have Will Anderson as the, the top non-quarterback in the class. And the next year, I mean, I'd take Dallas Turner as the top non-quarterback in in the
1: 2024 class. He had eight and a half sacks as a true freshman. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of just going back to my, my point that I, I genuinely believe that this Bama team mm-hmm. outplayed what I would have guessed their ceiling was at least a month into the season. I mean, you look at all these guys coming back, Dallas Turner... Uh, Will Anderson offensively, Ja'Cory Brooks, Ajayi Hall, Trey Sanders, you know, these are all freshman players that are going to step up. um, But just kind of putting a bow on it as far as standouts go. I want to go back to Christian Harris, who Jake briefly shouted out. But guys, he had four tackles for loss and three sacks in this game. He was everywhere. I think there were some doubts about Christian Harris and kind of his next level ability, at least coming in there. he, He didn't, he didn't play as well down the down the stretch last season. He was so big this second half of the twenty twenty one season, and and he was phenomenal in this one. We've got Dre on the pod now. Uh, before we kind of move on here and start to transition, are there any standouts from the Natty that you want to shout out? We've already talked about, you know, uh, Christian Harris, Jordan Davis, the the obvious guys. We should shout out Keely Ringo. I guess six solo tackles, a pick six, a really really great game though from the the guys we expected to perform well defensively on on both teams.
3: Yeah, I mean, what a great game. And I thought Trayvon Walker is a guy that's really popped in the last month. Um, Number 44 there, 6'5", 275 pound D end for Georgia. He is crazy in pursuit, man. He ran down a screen that I really thought Bama was like this close to take to the house. Um, And then the other standout to me, is while Williams got hurt, and now you know we had fun debating Drake London and Williams as kind of the top wide receivers, both are gonna have that injury flag on them, and we see George Pickens coming off an ACL, okay. clearly, still not a hundred percent. But like, if injury's a factor, Pickens might just have a case to be, if not the top wide receiver, certainly in that mix. Um, and wow, what a turnaround. And once again, it's going to be a fun, fun wide receiver class to get into. So the, those would be my two biggest, uh, takeaways from a draft standpoint without trying to step Can on your guys. At all. Yeah, of course. James cook,
2: man. I've been uh, a yeah. big fan of this guy going back to before yeah. the season last year, but, um, just, Obviously, his brother and those kind of skill sets shine through. Um, but this is a guy who split carries his whole time in college. He hasn't even really gotten into like, you know, the thick of his prime to say um, he's going to have a lot of mileage to give his NFL team this next coming year. Yep. And I think did he get the ball in that two point conversion where he's going to the
0: edge and didn't get it? There was one play yeah. it was either that or like, I think so, it must yeah. have been that. But but he just couldn't quite get the edge against those defenders, and, and there are just a couple plays like that that stand out where it's like okay he wasn't able to do this like I, I wonder if it's just like the physicality at the end of runs it's missing I'm still hyped like he might wind up being like a day two type of guy but he is not Dalvin Cook I do I right I'm I'm not sitting here thinking like he could do the same things as as Dalvin does.
2: Right. I mean, they were completely different prospects. So Dalvin was an absolute workhorse for Florida State. Um, just, I mean, Cook never really got that opportunity, but I don't think that's no. really his skill set either. Um, you're kind of seeing him in an ideal role where he can just go out and catch passes, you know, run every now and then. Um, I think that if Dalvin kind of came back into the draft and that's, that's kind of the role he would be. And I don't know if he'd be like the workhorse that he is now.
0: Also, I mean, one more name. And- Cameron Latu, the the tight end for Bama all the weapons go down and all of a sudden he has a career day with the touchdown over 100 receiving yards like not a highly drafted guy but i mean you've got to think he's going to fit in somewhere on day 3. Yeah. He's
1: another guy that quietly had a really good season. I believe he had eight touchdowns this season. Um so a guy to keep an eye on converted linebacker over to tight end plays physical more of a blocker but yeah shout out to him for stepping up um We've been all over the place as far as this goes. we shouted out, I think, just about everybody that was worth acknowledging in That's the great game. game. That was a great um,
3: game. So much talent on display. Left side of Georgia's line was freaking unbelievable. Um, Will Anderson. I, I thought Bryce Young it was re- like the poise and touch that kid has with all his wide receivers. It was out. great. We just battled and battled. Um, yep. And shit, I thought Will Anderson was going to win that almost single-handedly. I, he... He in the first half closed that gap between the two defenses by himself. What a yep. stud, man. Just and then when the freshmen start going talent. too, like when they had yep. two of
0: those guys yep. and they're making plays every time, it it just freaky stuff from both of them. Yeah. I guess I mean talent,
1: yeah. They're a year away. They they uh, people don't want to hear that because yep. they're sick of Bama, but they're going to be better next year with, mm-hmm. with the talent that they bring back. And a, a lot of these percent. guys that got valuable experience. Mm-hmm. I mean. Ajayi's a receiver that didn't even play all season. He comes in, plays two college football playoff games. This is a former five-star guy at an IMG that's he's gonna be freaky. I mean, we we saw it flash last night. Um, but the best team won. The best team in the in the country won the national championship this year. And, you know, I, I know we would all be proponents of expanding the playoff in some form, but there is something to be said about that. You know, the best team came out this year. The NFL playoffs are here and the and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can bet 56, can get excuse me, 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. Just bet $5, win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. All customers can get in with the DraftKings Hammer, the over promotion. For every 5,000 bettors who take the over for Saturday night's game, yeah, the point total will lower by half a point. Hammer the over has hit every single time that DraftKings has run it. So you are going to want to take advantage of that. That is going to be the New England Buffalo game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR. Get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet $5, win 280 in free bets if your team wins. With the promo code DNVR this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers-only restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.
0: Also, it's, uh, it's time for the, the weekly... No, it isn't. We changed the ads. They finally loaded. I had to re-log in. Oh, I was all ready to talk about my teeth. Oh, well. And so we get to talk about sexy pizza. Uh, you, you've got two days left to get in on this deal, and I still haven't done it. So... I'm, an idiot. I have a feeling that we're going to be kind of breaking the www.sexy.pizza servers tonight. Because I know I'm getting one. I know everybody listening to this is getting one. So between the two groups, I mean, that's like thousands it's of a people. A lot of pie. A, lot, it's of a pie. lot of pie.
3: What's the code, Henry? Oh, the. Co- <laughs> Let me.
0: Really Sexy scroll. DNVR. Sexy Whoa. DNVR, of course. How could I have forgotten? Um. Yeah, I mean the code is sexy DMVR. You get twenty percent off, and it's the best pizza that you're going to find anywhere. Um, they're uh, they're deck oven pizzas. They are hand tossed. Their their dough is made from scratch every morning. The best part is you can get the philanthropies. And the way those work is like there's there's different nonprofits and stuff that go to sexy pizza. They build their own pizzas, and then a portion right. of those profits go back to that uh, nonprofit. So that's a pretty cool thing that happens. Combine that with the 20% off with sexy DMVR at all of the locations. There's five, four in Denver, one on the way in Trinidad. Is that here yet? It's been on the way since we started. Do we have an update on the Trinidad location? Um We'll call them in right after this. Okay. Well, maybe next week we'll have an update on the Trinidad location. Yeah. Uh, no, but no. there's gonna be a lot of pizza ordered by all of us on this podcast, and hopefully Dude. by you guys too. Again, that code ends tomorrow. That's Wednesday. So get in on a, uh, get in on it now at www.sexy.pizza.
1: Love it. I could use some pizza right now to to cure that post snatty sadness after my team lost. But um Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, I'm not even in a bad mood, honestly. Like Justin, I like Kirby Smart so much that I, I'm oh, happy for him. He's he's very unlikable to me, but
3: good, gu- good guy, by all accounts. Yeah, yeah, he's very unlikable to me. Oh man, um, seeing
2: him jump eight feet in the air for the pick six and everything, and I love, love it. that.
3: They love. How can it. you not like somebody who uh, jumps? <laughs> <laughs> yes or no,
1: Justin? Bama's season success or failure? Oh, it's a huge success. There we go. go. Really. It's go. a freshman quarterback that they went to the national championship with. He won the Heisman. They're going to be better next year. They won the SEC and
3: went to the Natty. I mean, that's a su- if that's not successful anymore, then just, you know, pack it up and call it good. No, don't pack it up. Go
0: win pack it up and call championship
1: good. next year. No, it's, it's the, the point, point I never said only one team wins a that. Well, yes, that is the mentality that they have, but also like you can appreciate it as a fan. They're, after they lost Crazy. to a and I didn't Crazy. even think they were going to make the playoff. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they made it is a win in itself. And you got to see all of these people flash. And yes, it would have been great to win. But anyways, it's a successful year. Um, if you make a bowl game and you win a bowl game, it's a successful year for most teams. That's like... Oh, yeah. I, it's Bama, though. Bama's teams, playing a different game. Most teams. <laughs> well, that's the correct answer. That's the correct answer. Um, but let's talk about the NFL. Because... Big things are big things are happening. The, the Broncos have a head coaching vacancy. Praise the Lord, Hallelujah, and they are trying to interview everyone and their mother. If you have ever watched a football game, you may be in line to interview for the Denver Broncos head coaching vacancy. Call George Payton at one eight hundred. We need a coach now, and you're gonna you're gonna get in there. I'm just kidding. But uh, they had nine guys that came out on the list yesterday. Now it's up to 10, uh, according to Jason uh, Kunlaforta. I always say his name wrong. Locking Locking forward. Forward. There we go. Thank you. There's no he is now reporting that Doug Peterson is going to interview with Denver as well. So 10 candidates. Um, we're going we're gonna to go through some of these and we're going to play a little game where we kind of pair 2022 20, prospects with these coaching candidates, like who it would make sense. An example, if they hired Jim Harbaugh you know, Aiden Hutchinson, because he's already coached him. Obviously Hutchinson's not going to be there at nine, but you get the deal. Yeah, that would have been a better example. Thank you, Hank. (laughs) David Ojabo. Um, How do we want to start this? I'm I'm going to let Dre lead this exercise because it was his idea, but I do think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, we also have the ninth pick,
3: right, locked in. So we Hmm. can also start exploring those types of options I thought there was actually an 11th candidate that was getting Flores. I don't, think, might be, yeah. um, I don't think
0: we've gotten that confirmed though. But the thing okay. is, I, so all the candidates except for Doug Peterson who came out to morning, this morning, those are all guys that the, the Broncos had to request to interview. And so that goes to like whatever feed and so somebody tweets it out. So So there's potentially more that they've talked to, but just because there's no reason for it to get out, it hasn't gotten
3: out yet. Yeah, they've got to get their schedules in line. It's a really interesting candidate list. And also, you know, now we get all these uh, all these draft picks to mull over. So I just want to go through some candidates and talk about, you know, who, if the Broncos choose this option, then what, what does it mean for how they'd want to construct their team with that first building block similar to like, you know, John Fox. Uh, Went with Von Miller on that first year. That's how he decided to build his Broncos. Um, Vance Joseph went with Bradley Chubb. And uh, yeah, so let's start with the offensive minds because I think that's where we have most fun. Um, Kellen Moore. Uh, Does anyone feel like a particular (laughs) Kellen Moore pick and ninth overall? I think him and Biennami for me are the hardest to decipher. Um, huh. Hackett feels like he could very much be a Kenny Pickett kind of guy.
0: I was thinking Matt Corral. Corral gives me Rodgers vibes. Could see that. Could yep. see
1: that. Yeah. Before before we do these prospects out of these reported lists, do we want to give out the name that we actually like on this or do we want to just kind of make that clear with the way we go through the, the debate naturally? I think yeah. it'll come up. Yeah. Okay. But well, if care. you have a hot a hot one to shoot off, go for it, man. Oh, my take is just that Kellen Moore is overrated, but... um <laughs>
3: oh, Okay. We'll get yeah.
1: there. I don't mind that. I don't think there's much of a track record to say you're
3: incorrect there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um I do but- like Matt Corral, though. He does feel like a very Kellen Moorey. you know, let's spread it out, quarterback-oriented, rely on the athleticism, really kind of can do what he did at Boise State, you know, just kind of lean on athletic playmakers and, you know, play modern football, but
2: I don't know. When you look at what Corral, I think was really good at, it was the RPO game and just getting the ball out quick and into those tight windows. And that's kind of what Kellen Moore brought to the Cowboys was a lot of that RPO element, um, just kind of opening it up a bit more, a lot more spread, a lot more shotgun with Dak. Um, Kind of just moving away from that uh, Jason Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott archetype that they were working under for a while and just really opening it up. Um, And honestly, that's really attractive to me as a Broncos fan who's watched extremely terrible offensive football going on five, six years. Um, Any type of modern offensive philosophy, I am definitely open for. Um, Corraldo, I don't know. I mean, he'd fit that, that kind of mold. I don't know as a prospect, though, if I'm too excited about that
3: but i think you're right that is that does feel like more of the mold for more i think you laid that out nicely to a lesser extent howell could kind of fit right
1: mm-hmm, sure um
3: and you know we also got to remember it's um it's hard to make these pairings sometimes because you might see a guy like matt lafleur who's worked under ryan Tannehill and aaron Rodgers, but lafleur is a uh, a footwork and like technique guy. That's you know he's really going to sharpen you up in that area. So he sees a guy like Jordan Love with everything but the tools that he can coach up. That's what's attractive, Sam. Yep. So you got yeah. Jordan Love, also one of those
0: like get him out of the pocket, run a big bootleg, Aaron Rodgers types too. I feel like there's there's some of that there.
3: Sure, sure, for sure. Also, Curl,
0: um, um, The other thing though with Kellen Moore. Like when the Cowboys have been at their best, it's been because of that big offensive line and letting Zeke cook. Like, and and then throwing off of it. And that's changed a little bit over time. That was more like the two, three years ago mold when he first got there. But it could also see him, like if Evan Neal is still there at nine, maybe just saying, screw it, let's get this line figured out. If if he doesn't like the quarterbacks, uh, could also, I mean, Charles Cross, maybe also in play, just a big pass protector.
3: Yeah, like Juanu. I mean, the yeah. offensive tackle options we've talked about at nine um, would certainly serve there. I'd agree, though. Moore feels very much like a Matt Corral guy. Um, what about Hackett? Does everyone agree with me that that feels more like a, a picket type? I think it's Corral there, too. I, I see the picket,
0: but I just think that mobility feels I, like you could run those bootlegs and stuff.
2: Pickett can move too, man. Um he things, throws
3: better on the run than Corral,
2: like right by miles to me.
3: Okay. Yeah, for
2: sure. Um, I don't know, with Pickett, it's I think it would be a lot more um I guess traditional is the word. I, I don't even know if that's a good word to describe how the offense would look with Kenny Pickett in blue and orange, but um I don't think it'd be as RPO heavy, um kind yes. of a bit more west coasty. Um, That's what I was
1: going to say. Yeah. I think it would make sense. I could also see him having, you know, having a front row seat to Devontae Adams, you know, looking at some of these bigger receivers and being, you know, intrigued as well. Yes. Um, But I I, I do think Kenny Pickett would make a lot of sense with him. He's
0: also had a front row seat to Justin Jefferson in a few of these games. Pickens, good point, just looks like that kind of guy to me.
2: Got one on the roster,
3: Mr. Jerry Judy. That's true. Um, yeah, I do think wide receivers interesting with some of these offensive minds like Biennemi. I'm not sure I see a quarterback that screams Biennemi to me, but you're trying to reproduce some of that, right? We've talked about how KJ Hamler being out, um, and how like someone like Jameson Williams.
1: Williams that. would be good or Drake Field London, stretcher. you know, especially he feels less realistic now that you've already locked down Tim Patrick and Cortland yep. Sutton. Yep. But you know, you could potentially move one of those guys at some point. You could also just bring him in and just say you want to know what we want to have four or five really quality wide receivers and we're just going to overwhelm teams. Like there's there's a lot of ways you could look at it, but I I think Pickett probably makes the most sense with him. Yeah, Oh, now we're, we're moving on to Bionmi already. Yeah, I was saying Bionmi, James. You know, Jamison
3: Williams is where you start to get into maybe a non-quarterback option for some of the offense. The uh, the other offensive candidates. Um, About
2: um, not to get Justin too excited, but if you bring me in, why not someone like Trey McBride that could do it all tight end?
1: Mm-hmm. I would <laughs> love that, man. I mean, you, you see what Kelsey does for the offense, and yeah. Exactly. I think Trey can be that type of player. I'm not sure. I think quickness, you know, Kelsey's a little bit faster than Trey is. Um, and so that's going to help. But yak ability, contested catches, all that stuff. Then again, we're talking about the ninth pick, right?
0: Yeah, it'd be we more have of a down, move.
1: But I mean, if, if you're not taking a quarterback
0: here, trading down, adding another pick next year using that to move up potentially if you don't figure it out i mean that's that's not a bad strategy at all and i mean you sl- and that is the piece that's missing like there is room for another skill guy on the broncos offense and i think it could come a different a bunch of different places like you have kendall hinton out there at receiver sometimes still and not that you want to bash the guy but turning that into Jamison williams on those snaps that'd be pretty nice so whether it's there, whether it's the tight end, whether it's a running back in like the second round or something, I, I think I think you do bring a skilled guy into the conversation with enemy.
1: What are your thoughts on enemy as a candidate? Just generally.
2: Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Not I'm superb. not the biggest fan. Yeah, I, I think of. I mean, I do like I like Doug Peterson when he was in Philly, but I think of him. I think of Matt Nagy. Uh, these guys that seemed kind of overwhelmed at times once they were actually given opportunities. Um, Anthony, I mean, Anthony, Andy Reid calls that offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, that's his offense. me mm-hmm. uh, may call the plays, but that's Andy Reid's offense. Yeah. I'm
1: not going to bash him. Um, I think he's greatly overhyped. I think the amount of credit he receives for being a coach in an Andy Reid offense run by Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, is a little bit ridiculous. And the, the other thing I'm just going to say is, and this is what you can kind of relate it back to CSU, they, everybody wants Tony Alford at CSU, right? Why hasn't Tony Alford ever even come close to getting another shot somewhere else? I feel very similarly with Eric Bieniemy in a sense, where you have all these people locally that love him because he was a buff, and I get that. If he was actually you know, highly considered to be a head coach these last couple of years, he would have gotten that opportunity already. I just think that maybe that's me being unfair, but I don't know. I just, I, I don't understand the hype that he gets. I think the big well, thing with B enemy
0: is that like there's the, the hiring head coach. is like two parts of it. And there's one part that anybody can do. Like we can sit on the couch and be like, okay, he runs the chief's offense. Look, there's the chief's offense. Like, Oh, he did this there. He did this there, whatever. But then there's also like the interviews and what's set behind the scenes. And because Bienemy wins at, like, the things that the fan at home can see, which is, sure, he doesn't call the plays, but he's really helping out with this Chiefs offense. It's been incredible. It's like, well, how does he not have a job? It's like, well, because there's a chance that he really struggles in that other area. And, you know, he was the running backs coach at CU in the early 2000s when they brought in the number five player in the country at running backs. He was the running backs coach. And uh, he quickly transferred. His name was Marcus Houston, and Bienemy just kind of, consistently demeaned him and belittled him and called him Markeisha proudly to the media and uh, the kid ended up transferring. And so you have that come out. And then he came he transferred years, to uh, CSU. Uh, yeah. But then uh, a decade later, he comes back as OC. And again, this was a really bad team. This is when they weren't winning many games, but there aren't, there aren't a lot of Positive feelings toward the enemy that, that linger from those times either, and then there were arrests when he was on the team. So you you do wonder if maybe he's bad at interviewing, maybe he doesn't necessarily have the personality. No, nobody in Boulder would call him a players' coach. I'll say that. I actually think he
3: has way more hype nationally than he does locally. I do too. Yeah, like locally, he doesn't have any buzz whatsoever. Nationally, he does. I I mean it's not a mystery. You guys laid it out. Like he was the coach there, the quarterback coach and OC when uh, Patrick Mahomes came up and was a, a huge reach at 10th overall. And the chiefs like were barely even like they, they were just starting to compete for the division. Mm-hmm. So he's been part of that all along. He's stayed the course. He's had other experiences as an OC and he's had that experience in college though. I think the experience in college being so poor has really like taken away from that resume. I think it's noteworthy that they're actually interviewing him, yeah, because um he's often a buzz name, he doesn't always get those interviews. But I think going back to the prospect list, I don't know who who his type of quarterback would be, hmm. you know, because Mahomes is so unique, really hard to
1: pair him with someone um Alex you know, Smith like, was so good in that Chiefs offense before yeah. Mahomes, you know, like if, if you could just get somebody, maybe Kenny Pickett, Kenny you know, Pickett. could be your Alex Smith.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, and I think it's because the Chiefs offense is so good in so many ways. Like I could also, you could see them like using all those passing concepts, bringing up Kenny Pickett. I could also see, see him saying, let's bring in Malik Willis. Let's run a bunch of RPOs. Let's run some read options. Let's get the tight ends sneaking out this way and dump it off to him easy. And maybe that's Matt Corral fits in there too, but, but I could see him saying, I want to run this offense with Malik Willis and it's the legs of Patrick Mahomes. that have kind of opened up the other things. I think there's just, the problem is that the chiefs can do whatever they want and it works. And so you can pick any piece of that and be like, this is going to be the
2: basis going forward. That's a good point. The enemy, former running back, uh, running backs coach. Um, he's going to want to run the ball. You get a, a quarterback like Malik Willis, uh, you know, we've kind of mentioned it before. You'd be like in that Baltimore Ravens mold. You'd be running the hell out of the ball. be a lot of
3: RPOs. So. I mean, that's the offense they ran at CU back in his day. I wonder if he'd do that. I mean, that'd be one of my big questions is why hasn't that offense worked out as well? Why has your offense dropped off? Why has uh, Patrick Mahomes' touchdown to interception ratio um, completely fluttered in the last two seasons compared to the previous two years? Why have you guys abandoned running the ball? Um, you know like do you guys love your press clippings? Are you more intrigued by a fancy big play that's gonna be go a long while than uh you know getting the chains every down uh, moving the chains so um, but Vietnam's intriguing Vietnam's yeah. intriguing. Um, okay, hack it more Biname we've got those out the way. We've been a little all over the board. If anyone wants to circle back on a definitive answer. Um, can we talk about Doug Peterson? Please.
2: So I've, I've been intrigued by him just because I don't really blame him necessarily for what happened in Philadelphia. Um, I think that, you know, you've we've, we've kind of seen the drama in the front office between Howie Roseman and everyone else there. And then um, obviously Carson Wentz's downfall played a huge factor in, Peterson's support of him really kind of—that's basically why he got fired. Um, but I think that that kind of philosophy that the Eagles had um, with him, where they just gather up quarterbacks and really try and find the best one, and you have a good quarterback room, even if QB one goes down. Um, as a Broncos fan, especially, that's something really appealing to me because it's no secret the quarterback's been the biggest issue since Peyton Manning retired, um, and he's a guy that. You know, former quarterback himself, he can coach him up. Um, he's kind of seen, you know, acquired quarterbacks in different ways and has gotten them all to work together and improve the quarterback room as a whole. Uh, that's just really attractive to me. And I think it's something that it's the biggest problem for this franchise. And he'd be the candidate, I guess, that makes the most sense in trying to fix that.
1: Won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. <laughs> that alone should get him another opportunity somewhere. But. I, I think Peterson would probably be one of my top choices. You know, if not that the Broncos care what I think, but if they, they asked me, he would be one of the guys that I would throw out just for all the reasons that you laid out. He's a QB guru. He's a very well-liked coach, a player's guy. I think he could bring some excitement back to this team. I think the fans would, would buy into what he brings as a coach and, and just his personality. I think it, it's an underrated part of the job When you're winning, you can be a Bill Belichick type, you know, where you're prickly and you know you're not that, you know, entertaining because you're winning. And so nobody, everybody's gonna look the other way. When you're losing, it's hard to be that Vic Fangio, like old man, you know, grumpy, just oh, yeah, I don't don't want to be here. You need somebody that's gonna get these fans excited again. And I think Doug Peterson could do that. From a from a prospect wise though, it'd be really interesting, right? Because he's He's had success with a lot of different types of quarterbacks. Offensively, they changed a lot of stuff while he was there in Philly. I, I could really see him all over the place.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: And I'd throw in there, I mean, again, we don't love these quarterbacks at nine. We've made that pretty clear. I mean, the the, the year they won the Super Bowl, that was in large part because of that defensive line with Fletcher mm-hmm. Cox and, yeah. and Chris Long and Brandon Graham and all those guys you almost wonder if that brings like a DeMarvin Leal or like a Jordan Davis into the conversation. um, If they don't go the quarterback route,
3: Christian
1: Harris after the game he had last night,
3: potentially. I mean, any of those front seven guys we watched last night would be very intriguing. Either side Peterson though. I like how you laid that out. Maybe of all the offensive minded guys, the one that you can make the best case for Malik Willis.
2: Right. Yeah, definitely. The roundabout
3: amazing. way. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think he, among these co- candidates we're talking about, he's the most. I mean, I don't want to say creative, but he's. I think he you can. Could, I though. think. Uh, yeah, I guess creative, then, but he can like Frankenstein an offense together. Mm-hmm. I think he yep. can pull
3: elements from everywhere and make it his own. Another one like Biennial, who has to answer some serious questions about why did you abandon the run game? Um, did you get two analytics happy? How can we repair that? Honestly, sticking with offense and Malik Willis pro candidates, I think Jim Harbaugh kind of falls in
1: that camp. Oh, I would love Jim Harbaugh. It would be no. incredible. No, it would be. I mean, we're all, I think Harbaugh would probably guys. be the best option for any of these quarterbacks. Though, I mean, like I, if you had Carson strong, I'd probably most want him with Jim Harbaugh or, Doug Peterson, you know, one of these guys that's had success and has shown an ability to, to be innovative offensively. I mean, you don't, when you have these guys that are not necessarily the most polished, you know, that are not Mac Jones, but have a lot of raw traits, you know, you need to coach around what's, what's going to best use those skill sets. And I think those are the type of coaches that could do that. Based on, on where, what we've said so far, it sounds like all of us definitely are, are kind of thirsty for an offensive coach. Uh, no,
2: My it'd be more exciting. It would be more exciting. I'll definitely say I'm leaning that way just because we've kind of, they've tried to do the defensive thing and go against the grain here, the past two hires. And just seeing those offensive coordinators, those guys brought in has really just taken all the gas out of the Broncos offense the last six, seven years. Um, so if it's not an offensive guy, you need a guy that has, extremely good connects in the league that could really, that really has some pull and can bring in a true yeah. offensive mind because you can't keep doing it with the Skangarillos and the Shermers of the world. It's just, it, that's the, the, been hamstringing them for the last however many years.
0: And I mean, the, the guy who stands out for that would be Dan Quinn and I have some Jim Harbaugh thoughts right. first, but I mean
2: the, How so? uh,
0: well, I mean, he, he brings in uh, Kyle Shanahan who's like the rising up and comer hits on him and has a nice year uh, brings in uh Sark and Sark has, has a nice stretch there too. And so he is the head coach who's been able to land some of those, those like up and comers or whatever you call Sark at that point, still probably up and comer, but um, uh, positive signs at least. And on Harbaugh, the you, you think back to when he was successful, yeah, they could go with like the Malik Willis type, but also those linebackers on that 49ers team. Like, is that is that where you get a Christian Harris or a Devin Lloyd? Because that's really where he made his mark.
3: Um, Vic Fanjo's defense, yeah, 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 true, <laughs> that is defense. true. Yep. Um,
0: um, real quick, more on Harbaugh, sure though, break. one
3: sec, let's take a quick break and then we'll jump, okay, jump into cool. Harbaugh Korean and all this.
1: All right. I want to shout out Ripple, which is a product you can find at Light Shade Dispensary. Ripple is clinically proven to hit two times faster than the leading gummy. Ripple starts absorbing within ten minutes, so you can depend on a consistent experience every time. I don't know about you, but if you've ever, you know, taken an, an edible, a concentrate can be kind of a, a wonky experience. Sometimes it hits you in thirty minutes. Sometimes it takes like two hours, and then you know you you don't even get the the feelings until after when you would have wanted to, you know, feel it. So it's, it's kind of a gamble. You take something like Ripple, it completely takes all of that, that worrying and, and unpredictability, just throw it out the window. With Ripple dissolvables, you can make anything an edible. It's flavorless. It dissolves in anything. You could put it in your Coke. You could put it in apple juice. You could put it in just plain water. It's the most convenient way to get the fastest THC. Just put it on your tongue. Ripple products come in a variety of doses for whatever experience you're looking for. And there's no sketchy science here. Ripple's speed and absorption was studied at Colorado State University Go Rams in a randomized placebo-controlled trial with real people, and the results were published in a peer-reviewed journal. You can get Ripple at Colorado's premier dispensary that is Lightshade. There are 10, soon-to-be-11, convenient Denver Metro and Aurora locations. They offer something for everyone, including the casual consumer or the connoisseur. Lightshade has a premier selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flour, edibles, tinctures, accessories, and more. And our podcast listeners can get 25% off non-sale items when you use the code DNVR. Uh, it, put it in online. If it doesn't come up, that's okay. When you get to the counter, just tell them you're using the code DNVR. They'll get you hooked up with 25% off your order. And uh, try Ripple. I'm going to have to go pick some of that up. If it, if it was tested by RAMS then I am willing to give it a go. Sounds pretty good to me. Let's talk hardball and the rest of these guys, though. Uh, definitely, of all the candidates, the guy who, like
3: you, is most susceptible to RAM testing. Um, you could really, like, he's he's the kind of guy, like, if, uh, if some some buckhorn sheep tested it, Jim Harbaugh's all in, baby, all in. Um Right, Henry, you're making faces. Do you disagree with me? No, nope, you're totally right. Okay. I love Jim Harva. I love Jim Harva. Faces. So who's got it better than us? Nobody. Why? Uh, you wanted to give your Harbaugh thoughts. Give your Harbaugh thoughts, Hank.
0: And those are basically them. I mean, you you go after uh, you. They won with linebackers. I think that that points toward a linebacker. And I know that like it, it makes sense for all these guys, especially the offensive guys, to go after a quarterback. We have to remember that like there, there's going to be a plan here. It isn't necessarily you need to go do and get your pieces right now to go do whatever. Like, I think part of the plan could be let's get this defense figured out or whatever, or if you don't like these quarterbacks, let's not jump too early. Let's wait till next year if you need to. Um, And because of that lack of pressure, it could make some sense to go after another position, especially for a guy like Jim Harbaugh. Those linebackers sitting right here with him there, I think it'd be really exciting my such
3: a harbaugh fit too like why
2: wait why is them?
3: well because such a gap scheme right he's been he was really like when he first got to the nfl him and greg roman were trying to like transcendent uh gap blockers and they were putting so much uh added like pull blocks on top of that yeah, and kind of like worked manufacturing mm-hmm. gaps like which wasn't totally a big thing in the early 2010s now you know like lincoln riley's running like motion one side pulling the art the guards the other only to run it to like where the fake motion started from uh so the game's evolved quite a bit but i think Iquanu at right tackle combo of mobility power size and just how he would right that would be a harbaugh identity all of a sudden you right. have ikwanu blocking for Javante Williams, like we're going to add a fullback. Like it's on, get ready for 22 personnel. It's on. Well, if
2: they take him at nine, I think the guy they should take at 41 would be Sam Howell. I think that that's a guy that obviously a lot of tools and uh, just the way Justin laid it out, how Harbaugh has been able to coach these quarterbacks. Um, Howell's a guy that definitely needs to be coached up. And I think that if he is able to get coached up to the level of a, Jim Harbaugh or any other top of kind of top tier NFL coach, he'd be a really good quarterback. That's
3: a great point. We've always talked about as far as traits go, some of the more high-end of this whole group, right? Do any of us think that Harbaugh's realistic? No. Nope. Yeah. probably
1: not i i think he's probably in the conversation for an nfl job but oh i think he is i ultimately think he still probably goes back to michigan yep yeah i I think there's some real flirtation going on with his camp
3: i think harbaugh strikes me as a full control or bust guy especially with that power dynamic that really didn't work out um, in San Francisco, with him, Trent Baalke, the GM, kind of winning out on that power struggle, and now you know fans of Jacksonville are dressed like clowns because they haven't fired his ass yet.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I don't, I can't so, say much about Trent Balky overall, but in a power struggle, there might be nobody I'd rather have
3: on your the side. The dude wins. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, the dude Trent wins. <laughs> yeah, that's GMs for you. So in an organization where you already have like John Elway in the shadows and clearly George Payton as the personnel decision maker, Harbaugh doesn't feel bears who just fired GM and head coach and might just want to like the fix all the Raiders where clearly uh, Al Davis's son just wants to like throw a bag at someone, watch the games and enjoy. It. He's completely different from his dad who wanted to be involved in every single um, decision, and you know, I'd coached and GM'd and everything. Um, and you know, I want to kind of circle back to a great point one of you made on Doug, Doug Peterson about how for for George Payton, this offensive hire, especially, you're not just hiring a coach, you're kind of adding an extra consultant in evaluating these quarterbacks, the most important position. Mm-hmm. Um And how many of those really valuable consultants did they have in his time in Miami, you know, where it was so kind of more defense-driven program? Um, And I wonder if that's a valuable lesson that he's maybe learned, even from working with Vic, who might have been incredibly valuable to lean on in evaluating guys like Sertan. Now switch gears, though. Who can be that right-hand man in finding that quarterback? I think that definitely plays into all this let's finish up the couple of offensive guys we've got so many we do. george payton like interviewing them all oh, as God. justin was joking kevin o'connell honestly don't know a ton about the rams oc aside from mcveigh mm-hmm. disciple we're gonna go more 11 personnel tight um you know and that's gonna kind of be the drill um so probably not wide receiver more zone blocking. I don't know that you need to prioritize a top 10 right tackle in a zone blocking scheme. And just, again, Mm -hmm. going off of very superficial reads, West Coast quarterback. so we're back to picket. Interesting how Corral is kind of that like wink-wink West Coast guy, Mm -hmm. right? There's always that RPO guy who's like, well, shit, actually in a West Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, Justin, of all the guys, you would throw the Carson Strong candidacy in O'Connell probably the guy who feels most Carson Strongy, if you will. He just worked with Stafford.
1: Yeah, he and feels Jared the most Goff, natural in, in terms Goff. of fit. Um, are we so sure that the the Sean McVay bump is like something you want to be tied to? I mean, that Rams team has underperformed a couple years in a row now most
3: successful coaching tree there is in the NFL right now. The
1: That's true. The, I was going to say yep. that the benefit you have is that the guys that have come out of it have been successful. That's a better selling point than McVay himself. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur, like
3: mm-hmm.
1: we're not I playing. straight losses to Kyle Shanahan though. Yes. Kyle Shanahan is
3: maybe
0: at the lower end of all of this than anybody.
3: Um, um, than, uh, the guy at the, the chargers who
2: everyone loves. Him. Yeah. I, thing- I do. think. Jake so I was just gonna say the one thing I've gathered from like just looking around on Kevin O'Connell is that Rams fans seem to be like they really like him and they would be really heartbroken if they lose him, which is always a good sign. Um,
3: but that's about all the info I really have on him. Feels it, it's another biennium It's a bit of a shot in the dark. What will you do when you're actually at the wheel? But George Payton's gonna sit. I mean, George Payton has inter has some very intriguing interviewees here. This man strikes me as someone who's built a list and been kind of keeping tabs on all the most intriguing coaches around the NFL for a minute now and is going out and finishing off the offensive side. Luke Getze, the other member of the Packers offensive staff, he's their passing game coordinator and quarterback coach. One year of coaching wide receivers under P.J. Fleck at Western Michigan. One year at Sippy State. Uh, Joe Moorhead's first year and he's been kind of a Packer lifer so he's been there with Lafleur. he was there with McCarthy prior so kind of an interesting track record though there um, especially with that mix of college and pro right of all the the candidates here probably the one who's got most of that mix Mm -hmm. Um, most established relationship with A-Raj too Yes. Well, him and Hackett. Um, but you're right. He's been there way longer. That's a great point, Justin. That's yes. He's an a Rodgers lifer. I hadn't thought of that. And uh, and it's okay to say, well, he's the most prime for that ninth pick to not be in the Broncos possession, be traded away as part of an Aaron Rodgers trade. Um, shall we shift gears to the defensive side, fellas?
1: Let's do it. Let's start with Dan Quinn, because he's the name that everybody is, is floating seems to kind of be the projected front runner amongst people online. But I don't know if that's. I mean, when you when you hear the way that George Payton and his press conference talked about Dan Quinn, you can tell that there's a lot of admiration there. So it's clear that they have like an established relationship. Outside of that, I don't know if him being the front runner is just because everybody knows Peyton likes him or if it's because he's actually the most logical fit to step in here. But I am kind of interested to hear all of your guys' opinion on him because I've come around a lot in the last 24 hours, but my gut reaction when I started to hear Dan Quinn was the guy that underperformed with peak Matt Ryan. Yeah. Yep. So here's my thing is like, I'm
0: not sure that I necessarily want an offensive guy, but it definitely would excite me more. Like if you tell me like Nathaniel Hackett's coming in, then I'd say, ah, I mean, how much of that is him? How much of that as Aaron Rodgers running that offense? Like, would you would you really want somebody who has that sort of experience? I don't know, but at least you say, hey, this is a first-time head coach who comes out of a, a great offensive tree. Let's see what happens. I'm fired up. With Dan Quinn, it's like, ah, how high really is this ceiling considering what we saw? including the fact that, I mean, what we saw is he went to a Super Bowl and probably should have won it. But I I think that he's probably more of like the CEO type. He's probably more hands-off. We've seen him make good hires in terms of his offensive coordinators in the past, and I think that that would fire me up, the fact that he's done that. Um, and It's a good point. It'd be good oversight over the defense. I think that maybe you do see... Uh, like an Ed Donatel stay somebody who I think could be just as important to this defense as Vic Fangio was. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of a hot take, but I think maybe, maybe like it. So I see the appeal. I think that he could be a, a good motivator, that sort of guy. And that might be more of what they need. If he can hire the good assistant coaches.
2: My thinking is I'm um... I don't know. It, it is kind of, a, I guess, low hanging fruit way to think about this, but it's kind of just more like the same thing. I mean, this is another defensive guy that they're bringing in to kind of just man the ship, um, be this someone that the players can look to um, and really just, like, coach up the defensive side of the ball, and then you're just hoping that he makes a home run on the offensive side, which we've lived through that already the past few years. Um, but Dan Quinn, I think, does have a little bit more pull, obviously, than the Fangios and the Vance Josephs of the world. Um, and the way things went down in Atlanta, I he did kind of show his weaknesses as a head coach in terms of uh you know, managing the roster, game management and stuff. But I think Thomas Dimitrov really let him down in those last couple of years in Atlanta. Um, and you know, George Payton's just getting started, so it's really tough to say. But just going off last year, he had a really good draft. And I think that um, you know, one of the main things that he was hired for is because he's a scout scout, man. Um he scouts football players, so I think you can kind of trust in Peyton to not really betray someone like Quinn if uh like dimitrov really i don't i say betray, but just kind of let him down i guess yeah. um I don't know it it's uh i guess just lukewarm, I guess for me i I'd be
3: yeah, eh. yeah I mean there are some things you get into with his resume that are very intriguing. And this year, the Dallas defense has been very good. Um, But you know, that, that stretch in Atlanta does um, leave a bit of a sour taste. And I think it's primarily because he's a defensive guy who never had very good defenses. A big part of that is Dimitrov trading away gajillions of picks to trade up and get wide receivers or O linemen and really try to maximize that offensive window. So to his credit with a very undermanned and under-resourced defense that was really just supposed to kind of hold on, bend not break while Matt Ryan and the offense put up um, numbers was very good and would be a massive switch for him with all the resources the Broncos do have allocated already to the defensive side be a big schematic change i disagree with you hank that he'd hold on to Ed the oh. i don't think that's uh I, I think the schemes are too too different there um and i think a guy like cali hamilton someone who is mentioned in the last mock pod as a potential legion of boom 2.0 type of safety pairing with justin simmons suddenly becomes very intriguing. Derek Stingley could be very intriguing. And I mean, as we saw at Dallas, as we saw in that time when he was at Seattle and we never really saw it at Atlanta, it was kind of the nail in the coffin for his tenure. Pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. Has to be a key to that defense where you're going to try and rush with four, yep. one gap, get the dogs after the quarterback. Um, so I think edge Kyle Hamilton become very intriguing at that ninth pick. If Quinn were to be uh the the guy to lead the Broncos. Yeah, yeah another
1: Devin Lloyd guy too. I mean, somebody obviously that found one. Bobby yes. Wagner at, at yes. Utah State and you know was kind of able to coach him up into into one of the best, you know, middle linebackers in the NFL. So hundred percent defensively, I don't know. I really these last couple of minutes, you guys have kind of made me change my mind on Dan Quinn, I guess, in terms of how I would is. feel about it. I think it when you look at what he did in Seattle with all those playmakers defensively, and you now look at what he's doing in Dallas and compare it to Atlanta. I don't think I was factoring in enough the GM situation and just the lack of talent he was working with defensively. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to reassess some things in these next couple hours as I think about this, but I think with the right offensive mind, and I like that Hank brought that up. I mean, he did hire Kyle Shanahan. So it's clear like, you know, he's willing to be the head coach, the guy that, oversees it but still gives the keys to somebody offensively and it's like look you know you give me the quarterback make it work and, and let's do this so i don't know maybe maybe dan quinn would be a better hire than i initially gave him credit for and he's yeah. got
3: that college experience you know and uh has mm-hmm. gone into the college ranks with sarkeesian um you know works at florida worked at florida had those connections um last man standing from the urban meyer tree folks I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing it's a bad thing it's a bad thing Um, he if he is smart would tell you he's from the Pete Carroll coaching tree but we all know that Muschamp and Urban got their hands on him before
0: I think think that he would fit really well with this defense too again like he didn't I guess he did at points call plays when he was a head coach but only after he'd had to fire a defensive coordinator I think But still, like if he comes in and runs just like that pretty basic cover three, let the playmakers make plays. The idea of Justin Simmons in the middle of the field, Sertan playing one of those deep thirds, they keep whoever uh, to play the other one, or you bring in a Stingley or something. Like then you just fill out those linebackers, and all of a sudden, all you need is pass rush. I I do think that this isn't the defense where you need to scheme it perfectly. You know, you don't need to be calling the perfect blitzes and playing the zones and knowing when to play Justin Simmons in the deep third or in the deep half or having come up and play man. You can kind of just let them do their thing, and I think it could work. And and Dan Quinn, is, I mean, the Legion
1: of Boom defense was exactly that. So, do we want to when... make it official defensively on the prospect? Or Jake, go ahead and give your thoughts in, and then we'll come to come to a consensus. Uh, here. I was just.
2: Gonna go a little bit deeper on that cover three thing, but if we got we got so many guys to get to, we can keep it
3: moving. <laughs> no, no, keep going. Yeah, I, I, no I actually, it's pretty minor defensive names that are left on the
2: list. So, I mean, obviously, he played a big role in the success of that Legion of Boom and everything. But I mean, the players made the scheme right. Mm-hmm. So you know, you think of someone like Richard Sherman, who at the time was the best corner in the league, and you know, at uh, when we were working, when I was working at Sports Info Solutions, when we were charting that Seahawks defense. Um, they always kind of said to ignore Richard Sherman when you're trying to diagnose coverage because they just let him do whatever, um, because he was just that smart and that good. And, you know, you have Pat Sertain, he could definitely fit that role, yep. um, extremely young. You mentioned Justin Simmons playing the Earl Thomas type of, uh, you know, uh, center fielder. And so you really just need. Um, a serviceable corner on the other side. You don't even really need to go get yourself a Stingley or anything else. Mm-hmm. I think you just need to go find yourself the best cover three drop zone corner. Um, if you do hire Dan, Dan Quinn, of course, and then you're kind of cooking with gas on the defensive side. Yeah. And and then you bring in like a Devin
0: Lloyd or something instead. And all of a sudden here's your Bobby right. Wagner just running. Right.
3: There's, there's and something specified Devin Lloyd can cover and move like Bobby Wagner, sideline to sideline. He can rush the passer like Bruce Irvin. That, I'm not exaggerating. That is mm-hmm. for realsies. Um, compare their stats: Utah versus West. Virginia.
1: He might be the most underrated player in the country for now, 100%. legitimately. Like he's 100%. incredible. If he was yep. playing on Alabama, people would be putting him in the conversation for the number one pick. Totally, he would have been a Heisman finalist if he was at
3: Alabama. Put on that Stanford game. And then I, I had to take a breather and, like, step back and watch other games so that I not move him up to be my top prospect. Like, I, <laughs> I had to, like, take a walk. Um, you need to smoke a cigarette after you watch Devin Lloyd. He's absurd. <laughs> and he just he fits so absurd. perfectly.
0: Because because it, because he can do those different things. Like, if you want... you play Malik Reed on one edge and whoever on the other, Baron Browning on the other, Jonathan Cooper on the other. And if they get through, then all of a sudden, yeah, you're cool. He's he's now your your cover guy in the middle. If those guys can't get it done, but Jonas Griffith pops off or Josie Jewell is there, or whoever, like you have so many guys at those positions already that you kind of just need to have top end talent and he can plug the hole where, wherever you need him to go. I, I think he'd be such a
1: great fit. Random note here. It's not good that when you just said Josie Jewel, I thought to myself, I haven't thought about him once since he got injured. Not once this season was I like, man, really could have used Josie Jewel there. It was they
0: they they played really well with those replacement guys. There were moments where there were those guys screwed up, but but I mean that was the, like the sternod week. The sternod week was when they really screwed up, and you will like to have. Them. But but the rest of those guys, Kenny Young was solid. Like Baron Browning took steps.
1: Micah Kaiser was making some play. Like there's a. Jonas Griffith. They have so many young defensive talent for if they do decide to go the defensive coach route. I think there's a a lot of intriguing guys to work with. And that's probably a a selling point. If you're at Dan Quinn, right? Like I get to come in, you know, obviously walking away from, from Parsons and, and some of these guys, that's a, a little bit of a difficult situation, but getting to come in and take over with PS2 and Justin Simmons and Malik Reed, if they end up locking him down and, and all that, um, should we move on though? Who's the Who's the next defensive coach we want to talk about?
3: Brian Flores would be a name I'd throw out there. Um, Gerard Mayo's kind of obvious. He's a linebackers coach. <laughs> You'd start talking Nakobe Dean and Devin Lloyd. Yep, um, Christian Harris. Sure, any of with, those guys. Yeah. You land any of them with the, Nakobe Dean feels very much like a Pats type to me. Um, yep. and a Gerard Mayo type without knowing a ton about him. Um, Brian Flores, though, I don't know if anyone stands out to about Brian Flores to me. Well, I mean,
2: it's not defensively, but Brian Flores was in favor of Justin Herbert, pounded the table for him and was overruled uh, by Chris Greer to get Tua. And that's ultimately what caused the, uh, yeah. the separation for Flores and the Miami Dolphins. So, um, I mean, he, he kind of knows his quarterbacks. Uh, yep, that's at least one bonus.
3: And I mean, a lot of the Miami Deshaun Watson talk was that there right. was real mutual interest between Flores and Watson. Not so much the usual Miami hype. Um, a guy who I think, um, of all the defensive guys, you know, I look at the changes that the offer that Dolphins offense has had to make in the last two years and how they have adapted to, to a, how Jalen Waddle, the quietest rookie record of all time breaks the rookie receiving reception records this season. Um, despite Jamar chase getting all the, the hype. Um, and yeah, I think that's a really good point. Hard to pin down a prospect for him though. Um, I could see linebacker like Gerard Mayo and kind of that New England defense. I could see corner. I could see a guy like Stingley. He's felt more like a manufacturer pass rush, but no one would shy away from a franchise edge rusher. Kind of feels like any, everything's open there. Yeah,
0: I might... If, if they're going defense, I would probably look to the secondary. Like, I just think the, the way that they play was so much like cover zero maybe that is where you add a Stingley and pair him with Sertan and and just say, we're going to load up up front, but I wouldn't pass up again, like a Devin Lloyd, somebody who can do whatever from the middle. And when it's that, like read, whether you're being blocked and if you're being blocked, just drop back out and cover somebody or just go forward. If you're not Devin Lloyd kind of fits that too. I will say, I don't, I don't, I really think Brian Flores is going to be a good coach. I'm not sure he's a great fit with the Broncos right now, just because of the way that defense works and the fact that you're playing Mahomes and that that's what you're trying to beat. I think Mahomes, whenever he's played him, has just carved him up. And he run those little screens and get huge chunk gains. They can hit him over the... I, I don't know. I have some concerns about that blitz-heavy defense against that team. But still, I think a good coach. And I think that definitely one where you look to trading for Deshaun Watson or trading for uh, Rodgers or I think Russell Wilson, if those guys come available, this is probably the guy who makes the most
1: sense doing one of those things maybe he takes a look at one of those injured wide receivers obviously I mean took a fire on Jalen Waddle it, it panned out there I know it's the GM's call but um you know has as shown a willingness or you know the fact that he pounded the table for a guy like Justin Herbert you know maybe he wants to go out and add somebody explosively offensively I mean there's a, a lot of ways you could do it but uh, agreed with Hank. I think Flores is a good coach. I don't know if he'll be in the running here. I I could see Chicago, especially going after him. He feels like a yeah. Bears coach to me for some reason. But so um, blitz everybody. He'll be somewhere. That's for sure.
3: Yeah, or he just needs like guys who can get after the quarterback when you just rush four. So then you go the other way and you go edge. You know they never quite figured out that front in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Aaron Glenn kind of. Uh, Lions, um, defensive coordinator, um, former scout and defensive back coach of the saints. I'd say that's more a stingly like man, I'm up on the back end. Uh, Dennis Allen and the saints defense has been very good about that. And then finally we have, uh, Eagles defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, another guy with some scouting experience. Um, former defensive back coach for Minnesota and, um, Eagles defensive coordinator, uh, who Jake, you touched on that with Doug Peterson, how important that defensive line was, or maybe that was Hank. That was Justin. I think, well,
1: I don't know. We all talked about (laughs) it. That's
3: good. It's like when I try to name a cat and I go around every family name (laughs) I've got in my book before I nail the right cat. Um, so, you know, again, you could make a real case for the D-line here and uh, building the defense inside out. I must admit, Glenn and Gannon, absolute surprises for me. Um, very Peyton
1: heavily. seems to have a real respect for guys with scouting backgrounds. Maybe even prioritizes it more than coaching. And I think that's not that necessarily the worst thing in the, in the world because it's going to get them... You're going to look at some guys that other people are going to overlook purely from, you know, like, well... He was only, you know, a position coach for a couple of years. There's only this like, yeah, but he was a scout for 15 or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. he's got that ability to evaluate talent and know how it's going to translate.
0: And what you need to be is also one of those CEO types who can identify good coaches and bring in good coordinators and that stuff. But it does kind of make sense for the Broncos right now. And you're trying to figure out what to do with the linebacker position. Like we said, is it worth bringing back Josie Jewel? Do you want to pay that money? Same thing with AJ. When you have these six other guys who've all rotated in like you've got to pick a couple of guys out of all that that you want to give contracts to and that's that's kind of a scouting job similar th- similar concepts like that all around the roster um like the interior line what do you do there that's a scouting if you have job. that
3: scouting perspective you also want, you're not as caught up in like your scheme and what you need mm-hmm. right you right. Yeah. It's talent over scheme should always Mm -hmm. be. And, you know, you can be adaptable and hire different assistants and tweak your scheme, but then go from there.
1: Um, We're getting there, by the way. I think a good example of that is, like, you look at some of these SEC teams the last couple of years and the way that they've, you know, they're they're just kind of shifting to, we've got these playmakers, and I have not coached this way for the last 15 years. But this guy's different, so we're just going to switch it up on a dime. And then you get LSU win a national championship or, you know, you look at Bama willing to stretch the field and throw it 50 times when necessarily, like, finally coaches are just being a little bit more flexible.
3: I will say about these last three candidates we talked about, Glenn Gannon, and I think it extends to Flores. Uh, When you look at those resumes compared to some of these the, especially the guys with previous head coaching experience and a little more like experienced coaching around the NFL. Um, you do worry about their limited connections in finding uh, coordinators and filling out their staff. I honestly think that was a bit of a problem for Flores who, um, you know, th- as I mentioned, I thought did a decent job tweaking the offense and getting the most out of his staff and personnel But, you know, it also sounds like he was just prickly and very hard to work with. Um, And you wonder if that's part of the... Like, if he did have more of an experienced OC who he respects a little more, maybe can be a little more hands-off on, um, if that would have worked better. And when a guy's just coming from one organization, has had limited experience as a coordinator, and then goes right into head coaching, Vance Joseph kind of fits that mold as well. You do worry about their limited connections. Vic, I think, had a lot of connections, just didn't really care. He let Elway kind of talk him into Scangarello and didn't override him and was happy with Shermer, you know, and I don't know that he stayed on top of Shermer or really forced him to adjust and, uh, you know, tweak his stuff when clearly things weren't working Um so you know, yeah, like, I almost
1: think that was Fangio's biggest downfall is that he was too trusting of his offensive coordinator. To where he was 100%. like, you know, I trust Pat to do his thing, and it was like, well, why? Because he's not doing his thing. Um, <laughs> he's done it once. He was going with Case Keenum that one year, which is impressive. But what else? Before we wrap it up here, I just I want to get your guys' sense today. Where where do you feel? Who is the next head coach of the Denver Broncos? Is you know this is obviously just a, you're throwing a fucking dart at the wall here. It's a complete guess. But Hank, what does your gut say? Next head coach of the Denver Broncos? No, I think it's
0: tough just because like there's so many options. There's just so many.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, Quinn has uh, the most. Well, just just said it's a it's it, a yeah. th- I don't but need that's a why... monologue on how hard it is. That's how Justin introduced the topic. Give me a name. You all right, Trent? Henry? Yeah, oh, I'm pussy. okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> but that's the game. Come on, that's the game. Yeah, man. I mean, there's just too many signs that point toward Dan Quinn. Like, there's like hey, three Dan things working in his favor bro. versus one for the rest of them. Like, it's the the odds. The, at least there's some reason to think so. I also think though that when you look at like a Jared Mayo, that might be more so that you can say, "Hey, we just got this guy. I want to come on as defensive coordinator?" We'll give you that promotion. And and some of those guys, I think it makes more sense for that. So like somehow like bringing Brian Flores and then Jared Mayo as your, his DC, I think that that would be my number two. If we want a more fun pick than just Dan Quinn, that's
3: actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. A, a lot right of these guys feel yeah. like, eh, "Are
1: you soft interviewing those Packers ahead guys, of time? Right? like yeah. you know, it's, yeah. yeah." There's a lot of ways that this could work Great out point, towards. Yeah. We want you in the organizations. So we're going to give you that courtesy head coach interview. Actually, though, here's a raise. Be our offensive yeah. coordinator.
0: Look how much we respect you. Now uh,
1: come be the DC. We'll split the <laughs> difference. Jake next head coach of the Denver Broncos. Uh, I'll take the plus money on Kellen Moore. <laughs> mm. I like it. I didn't see that one coming.
3: Good to see it. It's been a hot name for a minute. Um, That's how you bring in like
0: Donatel again as DC. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, early favorite in the clubhouse. A hundred percent Dan Quinn uh, for the flirtation they've already had. For the fact that of all the interviewees. Aside from Doug Peterson, who just came through this morning, he's the only one with prior coaching experience, right? And since we started this podcast,
0: Rappaport said, well, actually, there's just mutual interest with uh, Peterson. There's
3: nothing like actually scheduled. Gotcha. Um, And again, as you pointed out at the start of the show, much more flexible Mm -hmm. because he's not currently employed, right? And
0: and not employed in the NFL. Yeah. Like
3: we wouldn't hear no. about
0: college guys either. There's a reason
3: there's no college
0: names on this list, and maybe it is just because they really don't want one. But you got to think they're interviewing at least somebody.
3: Yeah, hundred um, percent. But it just seems like with that pla- past history, the fact that he has, um, he has that previous experience, is still young ish um, and adaptable. I think a lot of signs are pointing to. Dan Quinn, but that's merely because it's this early, you know? Um, <laughs> exactly.
1: Peyton's I'll ask you guys this again up week, to so we can, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So Dan Quinn's your answer, though? 100%. I'm going to go Doug Peterson. I know he's not even officially interviewing yet, but I will say I Doesn't think matter. Peterson or Quinn make the most sense. Just when you think about what this franchise needs in terms of getting a guy that can come in win right away. I don't think necessarily you want to take a flyer on a guy that's never coached before because you do believe in what you have in place. Then again, you know, the retread can be boring. Like there's just a lot of ways to look at it. But when, when I think you look at the history of this franchise and where they've been most successful, it's with retread coaches like Dan Quinn. And because of that, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be, you know, him or when it's all said and done because it's just it's what they do and when they branch out of it it hasn't worked out very well i.e you know mcdaniels and vance joseph and vic fangio who's a little bit different of a situation but you know unproven coaches have not worked out very well for denver in the past like unproven quarterbacks it's exactly
3: it's a tough town to be learning on the job Mm -hmm. at those two spots um especially with like John Elway lingering over you. Yeah, right. no, I agree. I agree. I think you kind of give yourself a little more margin for success. with that.
1: Word. It's going to be fun, guys. Really looking forward into diving into these position groups with you as we approach the draft. About 14 episodes between now and the NFL draft. So uh, a lot to dive into, a lot to talk about. Obviously, we'll have the senior bowl, the combine, all the different crap. Once we get head coach, we can dive into that. And, you know, start looking at which prospects make the most sense. You know, what we did today, but with a, a more centralized focus, it's going to be a good time. Thank you to everybody that listened to our content throughout this season. It's been a long journey. Uh, congrats to all the Georgia fans out there. You guys, uh, you earned this one.